Psalm 119. We're going to look at Psalm 41, or uh, verse 41, excuse me. We're going to kind of skip, we've kind of skipped around with the verses that we've chosen to read, just kind of based on the word that we're going to look at. And uh, so we're in verse number 41, and again, those verses are there on your handout. There's some extra handouts over there if you did not get one yet. Uh, but uh, verse number 41, and we're going to read this section, the vow section uh, of Psalm 119, these eight verses here, and uh, you can follow along and fill in the blanks uh, on your handout. The Bible says, Let thy mercies come also unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me, for I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of, thy, out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. Shall, so shall I keep thy, thy law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. And so up to this point, uh, we have looked at five different words that we find in Psalm 119 that are a different description or definition of God's word. And uh, the first one we looked at was the word law. And uh, we said that law is instruction, that it's pointing to the answers. It shows us what is right and wrong. Uh, the second one we looked at was testimonies, that God's word as the testimonies are a record of what God has done, of who he is, of what he has planned for us. Uh, we looked at God's word as the way, the course or route to the destination that he has prepared for us in his purpose. We looked at precept. Uh, precept, we said the Bible is the precepts, is the mission, the special assignment that God has created for each of us individually that we can get from the pages of Scripture. And then last week we looked at the word statutes, God's word described as the statutes. And we said that that is the unchanging, unfailing, written in stone word of God. We said it's the law of God that has power in our lives because we choose to follow Christ and give him control over us. And so today, we're going to look at a new word, and that is commandments. But before we do that, uh, I want to kind of hearken back to what we finished with last week. And we were looking at verse number uh, 71. And so look there, and uh, just want to kind of follow up with this again, finish the thought that we kind of started last week. But verse number 71, we said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And we talked about affliction and dealing with pain and dealing with suffering, dealing with uh, trials and tests in our lives. And, and remember, uh, we said this last week and we've said it before, the one thing we need to take away from it is that you can't control what happens to you all the time. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to it. You can control how you look at it. You can control how you think about it, how you respond to it, how you move on from it. I had several conversations with different people this week that were facing difficult times at work or, or dealing with people. And uh, they had dealt with difficult times and they knew when they went back to work or they had to see that person again, they were going to deal with difficult times again. They could not control that situation. They couldn't control that person, but they couldn't control how they thought about it. They could control how they prepared for it. They could control how they looked at that person, how they respond to that person. And that's what we have to remember. We may not be able to fix it, solve it, or necessarily even make it better. 
but we can look at it with the right attitude, with the right spirit. We can look at it with trust in God that he has a purpose. We can look at it with faith that God is going to work it out. We can look at it with love for the people that are in that situation, even when they're causing it to be difficult for us. We can look at it with grace. Show grace to people. We certainly like it when people show us grace. So let's show grace to people, even in difficult situations, and then certainly with a teachable spirit, knowing that God is going to teach me or can teach me something through this. That's what verse 71 said. It's good for me that I have been afflicted. Why? So that I can learn. So that I can learn something through this. And as we read Psalm 119, specifically as we're thinking about this idea, um, the writer of Psalm 119 so much of it is, is him describing his relationship with God's word and how it gave him the right perspective of affliction. Uh, if you were to study, and we're not going to do that in this study, but if you're to study out each and every one of these eight verse sections, for the most part, you'll find a negative verse in them. Something that's negative, something that, that is a, 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 negative, a, a negative thought, uh, negative relationship, something that deals with sin. Uh, and all through that, we find God's word working even in those negative situations. And so as we think about that, it tells me that if we want to see trials and tests and troubles in life the right way, then it starts with making sure our minds are filled with truth. Our minds are focused on the truth of God's word. Our relationship with God's word has to be paramount if we're going to deal with affliction, if we're going to deal with trouble, if we're going to deal with trial, if we're just going to deal with a stressful, difficult situation or person at work, then we've got to have the right relationship with God's word. We cannot dwell on the lies. We cannot dwell on what the devil would feed us. We cannot dwell on what the world would tell us about ourselves or the situation or the people that we're having to deal with. We cannot dwell on what our flesh will feed us because our flesh, we will lie to ourselves. We will deceive ourselves. We cannot uh, dwell on those lies. We, when we're going through the affliction, it's very easy, it's very easy to dwell on the lies. It's very easy. Remember we talked about in our series, uh, Mastermind, it's very easy to allow those strongholds, it's very easy to allow, allow the deception to take control, into our, take control in our mind. And we've got to make sure we fight against that. And specifically in times of affliction, when we're going through trouble, that's the easiest time for it because we just fall back on those lies, that deception, those strongholds. We can believe the lies that I don't deserve this that God doesn't love me, that people don't care about me, that it's never going to end and that it's never going to get better. But those are just lies. And we have to believe truth. We have to focus on truth. In times of affliction, in times of trouble, in times uh, of stress and difficulty, we've got to focus on the truth of God's word, that God has a plan that I trust him, that I may not see the outcome, but I know I'll be better off because of it. That is truth. It may be hard for us to believe, but through faith we've got to believe Truth, uh, that I'm going to allow people to help me get through this, uh, that this too shall pass, that I want to learn what I'm here to learn. Remember, we said this verse does not say it's good that I've been afflicted. Remember that. It doesn't say it's good that I've been afflicted. It says it's good for me. Just like the medicine that you had to take as a child, or the vegetables that you don't like to eat, that your parents made you eat, that salad that sits in front of you, 
those of you that go to the gym, uh, it may not be good. Amen, guy? Uh, it may not be good, but it's good for you. Pain and temporary suffering, it's not good, but it's good for you. And we learn through that. So uh, take that. I just want to kind of remind us and finish that thought from last week. But we're looking at the word commandments today in Psalm 119. We read those twice in the section that we read just a few minutes ago. And so the word commandment is used 20 times in Psalm 119. And uh, the definition for that, let me give you the definition there in your handout. And the definition for the word commandments is a thing that is, our, uh, that is intensively established, declared, or decreed. Something that is intensively established, declared, or decreed. And so when we think of God's word as commandments, and, not, and certainly we know that God's word is full of commands. It's full of commandments, the Ten Commandments, the law in the Old Testament. We know all of that. But not just as it is commandments, uh, or not just the commandments in God's word, excuse me, but the whole thing as we think of it described by this word commandments. It's what God has given to us without question, without wavering, and without hesitation, without wondering. As we look at God's word, we can know that God has given to us, and he didn't put a question mark at the end of it. There's a period. Uh, it's something that God gave to us that we don't have to doubt, that we can trust completely and fully. Uh, it's something that God gave us uh, that he didn't kind of put it together or throw it together. Uh, it's something that we can trust. The Bible says in Psalm 119, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled. It's settled. It's established. It's firm. It's concrete. It's not going to move. Uh, kind of like last week we talked about statutes. We said they're written in stone. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments written in stone, how old-time laws that needed to stand the test of time were carved in stone so that everybody would know them. Uh, it's established. It's settled. Psalm 119, verse 152 says, Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. Verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. 1 Peter 1.25 says, The word of the Lord endureth forever. It is, uh, th that this word commandments, as we think about God's word, when you think about that God has given it to us intensely, he's given it to us uh, focus, it's focus, there's, there's purpose behind it. We can't deny it, we can't doubt it, uh, we shouldn't ignore it, and we have no excuse for rejecting it. You know, when you think about God's word, let me say this to you, God's word does not have to be excused, it does not have to be explained away, and certainly, it shouldn't be changed in order to fit into society or culture. What God has given to us, the Word of God, stands forever. It has been given to us by the power and passion of the Almighty God and His Holy Spirit, and He's promised to preserve it forever as the unchanging declarations of His Word. So, that being said, I want to take some time today to talk about how do we know, then, that what we have is God's Word? And we've talked about this before, but I think it's important that we talk about it again. And we review it again in our minds, and we strengthen it in our hearts. How do we know that we have God's Word? Certainly, we believe it by faith, 
because God has not necessarily revealed himself in person, in bodily form, and handed us the Bible, so we believe it by faith, but we can know that we have God's word. We can know that what we hold in our hands, what we read on a daily basis, what we teach from, what we preach from, is God's word. And it's important to be reminded of that. It's important for you to have that firmly established and entrenched in your heart and mind. To know that what you have is God's word. The Bible says in Proverbs, a man of knowledge increases strength. There's, there's strength, there's confidence in knowing what you believe. And so we want to talk about that today. Uh, how do we know that we have God's word with us and that we can hold it in our hands? Uh, it's, it's no accident. There's no coincidence. Uh, it's not a trifling detail that we have God's word today. So how do we know that we have God's word? Well, there's two parts to it. And so let's look at that. Number one there in your handout, how did we get it? How did we get it? Well, there are two ways in Scripture that we find that God gives truth to man. Two different ways, and uh, I believe that they're in your handout. The first one is Revelation. The first one is Revelation. Now, not the book of Revelation, but just the process of Revelation. This is God communicating previously unknown truth. Previously unknown truth. And so uh, you read in the Old Testament about uh, people who had visions or dreams uh, or the way that God spoke audibly directly to Moses. Okay? That's a revelation of truth. Giving truth that was unknown before, not to God, but unknown to man, directly to man. Okay, That's revelation. The second one is inspiration. Inspiration. And this is God having his truth recorded. Recorded. You know, God reveals himself in many ways to mankind. Creation, the Bible says, heavens declare the glory of God. Um, our, our, our conscience, the conscience of man... Not the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, but the conscience of man that every man has, saved or lost, and how every man and every culture and society has somehow, and to some extent, established the same type of moral code or moral laws that reveals that there's a God. Uh, throughout history, God has revealed himself through working. Uh, but the clearest way that God has revealed himself is through the word of God. Go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 with me. 2 Peter chapter 2. And we've looked at this passage before. 2 Peter chapter number 2. And look at verse number 19. Excuse me, chapter 1. Sorry. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 19. It says, we also have a more sure word of prophecy. More sure than what? Go back to uh, verse number 16. For we have not followed you, uh, followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter is talking here. He's describing that uh, mount of transfiguration. And Peter says, we're not believing what we heard from other people's lips. We're not, we're not hearing gossip. We're not hearing street talk. We saw it. We, an eyewitness account, personally saw uh, the glorified body of Jesus Christ. But, he says in verse number 19, we have a more sure word. It's more sure than what we saw with our own eyes, the word of God. Look at it, verse number 19. We all have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto we do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. The word of God is more sure than the word of someone who actually saw Jesus Christ in bodily form. That's what Peter is saying here. He says, look, I don't want you to take my word for it. The Bible is more sure than anything I'm going to say about what I saw. It's more sure. By having God's revelation of himself written down for us, we know that it is true, and we know that we can depend on it. So uh, go back to 2 Peter, because this passage also tells us how the word of God was recorded so that we can have it today. Uh, first of all, verse number 20 Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation, verse 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Okay, It did not originate with humans. Mankind did not write the Bible. Verse number two, or that same thing, number two, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So it did not originate with man, but men of God recorded the words of the Bible because God is the author. God is the author and holy men of God, men who followed the Lord, who had a relationship with him, who were listening to him and were used by him, wrote down the words of the Bible. And the word for that process is inspiration. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And look at verse 16. We find it again. Second Timothy chapter 3, look at verse number 16. We can trust the Bible. It's more sure than someone who actually saw Jesus because God is the author. It's not some man speaking his recollections or memories. It is the true words of God. Second Timothy 3, verse number 16. All scripture, all of it, is given. It's how we got it. Is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so all scripture, this entire book, everything that you hold in your hand in front of you was given originally by inspiration of God. Now, what exactly does that mean? First of all, let me say what inspiration in the Bible is. The Bible is given what it is not. Bible inspiration is not an idea or the motivation to do something creative or artistic, all right? Uh, we may talk about a songwriter. We may talk about an author. We may talk about uh, an artist and how they got inspiration to do something. Okay? They got inspiration to write a song. They got inspiration to paint something. They got inspiration to, uh, to write a book, to write a poem, whatever it is. Okay? They got inspiration. They were moved by something that they saw or that they heard. That is not the inspiration that we're talking about here in the Bible. 
It was not that these men had a thought in their minds and decided to expound upon it. That's not what we're talking about. Bible inspiration is this. And, and it's one that we don't use a whole lot. Okay? The, the exact definition of the word inspiration. Uh, that word inspiration in verse number 16 there means to draw breath in and out of one's lungs. You know, you've heard of respiration, the respiratory system, all right? It's our, our breathing. Inspiration is to breathe in and out. And so when we think about how the fact that God says, I gave my word through inspiration, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's that the word of God is God-breathed. It's God breathing the words so that they'll be written out. And when you talk, you're breathing air out. Okay? You're not holding your breath so that you can say a few words. Well, some may. Uh, but you're breathing when you're talking. And when God breathes, he's speaking the words that he wants written down to these men who wrote it. Uh, when God says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, that literally means that God breathed the words of the Bible to human penmen who wrote them down. He literally spoke them into their minds into their ears, and they wrote down the words of God uh, so that they would write exactly what he wanted. And here's the thing. We have to believe that. Go to Matthew chapter number 4. Matthew chapter number 4. We have to believe that what we have was given to us by God, not by mankind, but that God breathed those words to these men to be written down because of what Jesus says here, Matthew 4, 4. It says, but he answered and said unto him, or excuse me, and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Well, if you and I are supposed to live by every word, then we have to have access to every word. And that's what this is. If we're to live by every word, then we have to believe that we have every word and God has given to us by inspiration in the word of God. God used more than 40 different men from a variety of background over a time span of 1,500 years to record each word. It took place on three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe, uh, and in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And the book completely agrees and has been validated time and again by history, archaeology, and science. And in those places where it seems that there are contradictions, it is because we do not understand it completely. Or we have not defined it or translated it or, 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 or understood it the way that it should be. You know, you think about some of the controversial subjects that the Bible covers. And if you were to ask 10 different people, even 10 of you in this room, to write your view on one of them and to expect us all to completely agree. Yeah, absolutely, that's gonna happen every time, okay? <laughs> it's not gonna happen. And yet the Bible completely agrees. Why is that? Because there's really only one author. There's only one author. There's only one God who breathed the words by inspiration to those who wrote it down. And so if Jesus said that we can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, then we must have access to that. We must believe that we have the ability to have that because he would not have said that 
for us to read and for us to see if the word of God was not available to us. And it's easy for him, it was easy for him to say that to the disciples, you know, because they could literally hear every word of God. They could just listen to him every single day and they could live by those words. But for us today, who cannot hear God audibly, uh, who, who, who God does not appear in bodily form to us, then we must have access to those words somewhere. So that leads us to number two. Number one, how do we get it? Number two, how do we keep it? We know how we got it originally, how it was given to Moses, how it was given uh, to Paul, how it was given to Samuel, how it was given uh, to the other authors of the Bible. But how do we keep it? How do we have it still today? We know that God used human writers to record the words of God, but that was 2,000 years ago. So how do we know that we still have them today? How do we know that when English translators in the 15 and 1600s were able to record for us what we could understand to be the word of God in our own language today? So, uh, first of all, God has promised to preserve his word forever. God has promised to preserve his word forever. Go back to the book of Psalms and go to chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12. God has promised that his word would be preserved. Uh, Psalm chapter 12, look at verse number 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. They're to be preserved. We already read in Psalm 119 about uh, how the word of God would be established and how it would be founded forever. Uh, go to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 40. Isaiah, chapter number 40. I want you to see in Scripture how God has promised to preserve his word. The word that it was inspired originally has been promised to last so that we can have every word of God. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse number 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Remember, God has never made a promise that he, he did not keep. The Bible says in Titus, God who cannot lie. And so if God promised to preserve his word, then we have to believe that the word of God is available to us today. We can know that today there exists a copy of the word of God for us to understand. And so God has promised to preserve his word forever. Secondly, God tells us the process by which he has preserved his word. God tells us how he's going to preserve his word. First of all, he told men to specifically write down his word. Individual men. We won't take time to look at all these words, but he told Moses in Exodus 17, 14 to write the word. He told Isaiah. Uh, he told Jeremiah. He told Habakkuk. Specific commands in scripture to these individual men who were told to write down what God was saying to them. He told people, groups of people, to specifically uh, write down and copy his word after it had been written. He told fathers in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. He told priests and kings in Deuteronomy chapter number 17. And, and in Old Testament times, God used uh, the home 
and he used civil government religion to multiply copies of the word of God for the next generation to have. Obviously, they didn't have technology. They didn't have even modern printing presses. And so it was up to the home, the fathers, those that had spiritual responsibility for their children, for their families, uh, for civil government, for leaders in authority, and certainly those who were in religious authority. It was their responsibility to make sure the words of God were copied exactly so that it could last throughout all generations. But now, as we live today, it's God's plan for the church to preserve his word. So let's think about this. First of all, we know that God's word is truth. The Bible says in John 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy word, thy, or thy truth, thy word is truth. And we know from 1 Timothy 3.15 that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so the church responsibility is to lift up the word of God, to be the pillar for the word of God, to hold it up, to make sure that it lasts. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission. We know those that are saved have been instructed to teach what has been preserved to others so that they can in turn teach others. You know, historically there's evidence that God has preserved his word. Over 5,000 manuscripts of the New Testament alone copied with the utmost care dating all the way back to A.D. 130. There's more evidence than any ancient scholar, any, any, any Greek author, any Roman author, uh, any ancient scholar or writer. There is more evidence that the Bible exists than any of their writings. The New Testament is the most well-attested to piece of ancient literature in the world. And God's word has not only been preserved through copies, but it's been translated into thousands of languages. I'm just saying that God has promised First of all, to give us his word, every word, and he's promised to preserve it. So what you have in your hand, you can trust and believe that it is the word of God. Now, why is it important to know that? You've got to be able to know that what you hold in your hand is the word of God. If you can't with utmost confidence and surety and faith say that, then you're not going to be able to rely on it. You're not going to be able to trust it. You're not going to be able to follow it. You certainly won't obey it. So we need to establish in our minds and in our hearts that what we hold in our hands is the Word of God. And as we do that, I promise we'll have that strength. The man of knowledge increases strength. Boy, God's Word is commandments given to us without question, without uh, wavering, without hesitation. And so let's remember how God has given us His Word.